Welcome to the Navigating What's Next podcast from Lunavi. I'm Joe Kozlowitz, here today to get the answers to all of your burning questions about disaster recovery, backup, and IT resilience. Joining me today are two of our technical experts, Chief Information Officer Courtney Thompson and Director of Solution Architecture Stephen Dreer. Welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Hey, good day, Joe. Uh, let's kick things off with some introductions. We're all old friends and colleagues here, but can you give our listeners an overview of your background and what you do at Lunavi? I'll start with you, Courtney. Yeah, of course. I'm one of the co-founders here of Lunavi, and I serve day-to-day as the Chief Information Officer. My background is really in a technology entrepreneur. I've been doing IT consulting and cloud services security for almost, what, 25 years now. So this includes everything from professional and managed services to enterprise architecture, reliability, engineering, product development, governance, risk, and compliance, and everything that would go with the financial side of owning and operating a business. You know, in general, I'd say I, I hate waste and I'm passionate about our customers' value stream. Excellent. Thank you. And Stephen? Yeah, you bet, Joe. I'm Stephen Dreer. I'm the Director of Solution Architecture for Lenavi. I've held this role for the better part of almost six years now. And in prior lives, I've done everything from an infrastructure side of the house all the way up through executive management in the public service sector, being the chief technology officer for a branch of government as well. Thanks, guys. Really glad to have you here today. The subject of our discussion is, as I mentioned, business continuity, IT resiliency, and disaster recovery. This has been one of our most popular service categories for really as long as I can remember. Why do you think that resiliency and continuity continue to be so vital in the IT world? Yeah, I'll take that there, Joe. I feel like we really live in an always-on world where there's more variables in the risk equation than ever this day and age. You know, be it a natural disaster, human error, or a global pandemic, you know, one thing is sure, you can expect the unexpected, right? And so really, our businesses have to be planning to be affected at this time. So really, you know, luck favors the prepared. So I feel that a customer now understands that IT resiliency and disaster recovery are really not just checking the box activities anymore. They're really an integral part of business success. Joe, I would add just a little bit to that as well. And that is, is that it has a lot of persistence, if you will, simply because of the risk landscape. Uh, risks being, uh, they always continually evolve. And as a natural supplement to that, organizations are forced to essentially pivot, if you will, to be able to adjust those changes. In other words, it is a shifting landscape. You start looking at other variables that organizations or clients have to be able to endure. Some things that when you start looking at it, even from the tools and the processes that are coming into maturity. So in other words, being able to leverage what was historically somewhat prohibitive. A great example of this is that a lot of the tools, even less than five years ago, they required a lot of duplicity. So in other words, to be able to have a true quote unquote DR plan, you had to have multiple server infrastructures, you had to have and maintain the connectivity in between, and you also had to have the skill sets to be able to support that going forward. And so that to me certainly contributes to having the longevity, if you will. And then also I've seen it as well, where also the businesses are being subject to things from third parties. A great example of this is insurance underwriters where a lot of our clients, just to maintain things like general liability insurance, it starts to get into the realm of business continuity and cybersecurity. And so a lot of things that were historically, maybe even just a blip on the radar are now becoming front and center. Again, all in alignment with various risks that various organizations are exposed to at this point. So speaking of those risks, everyone loves a good fail video. 
Can you think of any examples of an epic fail when it comes to downtime or an organization you worked with that did not have backups ready? You know, I can certainly take a stab at that and I won't call out any specific client, but what I can tell you is I think that just with the COVID-19 and the pandemic, I think that what that did is that forced a lot of organizations to think outside of the box and not specifically with just disaster recovery, but when you start looking at things that are non-technical, such as workforce displacement, people whom were historically able to come into an office. And so the tools were at the office, so to speak, and then being able to take that away and then, and of course, have to adapt to that. And so I think that there, when you start looking at it in the context of the forest, if you will, specifically to organizations that were accustomed to that, that and therein, I think, is a choice example of where business continuity certainly became front and center, so to speak. Would you guys say that this practice area is more than just table stakes? Can you think of any ways in which disaster recovery or continuity planning actually helped facilitate a digital transformation? Very much so, Joe. I'd say from my side, it's not a question of if you will have to enact your ICP, the integrated contingency plan or our business continuity plan, but when this day and age, right? It's no longer an insurance policy you hope you'll never have to file a claim on. You know, we have traditional clients that have started routing their production sites between multiple geos so that they are ready to move the workloads at a moment's notice. You know, running your production workload in a different platform or a different geo on a scheduled frequency really helps transform their businesses on that side. Other clients know are modernizing their applications. They're building reliability and resiliency into their platforms from the ground up. Um, they're leveraging full power of cloud to facilitate infrastructure as code or elastic performance and availability to really achieve those, you know, 100% up availability uh, goals that are out there for us. One other thing to kind of add with that as well is, is that I have seen in countless examples where organizations may be tackling a couple different challenges at the same time. And so to your question about how does DR facilitate digital transformation, a great example of this is an organization that may be in pursuit of, say, hyperscale or leveraging Microsoft Azure. Being able to be inclusive of the various tools such as Azure Site Recovery as a part of DR exposes that organization to all of the other tools and features that are available on the Azure platform. Great example of this is if you start looking at, say, for example, a SQL workload, it may be traditional on a specific virtual server, but knowing that Azure has Azure SQL as a platform service, that could very well play into the disaster recovery scenario as well. And then, of course, that, of course, increases the ability to be innovative, I guess you could say. So we're kind of stretching the limits of DR into leveraging platform services. And so a lot of this actually causes the rationalization, meaning the DR conversation is around workloads and servers and then being able to deconstruct that into essentially features of an Azure platform that may be better aligned for what the customer is trying to do from that transformation perspective as well. Interesting. So you might say that they begin with a DR project, but as they are setting that up using cloud resources to accomplish it, they may discover that the workloads that they are protecting could actually be better implemented using new cloud services. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Being able to leverage platform services as part of the DR strategy. So it's a little bit of a shift from traditional infrastructure. In other words, virtual machines can be physical as well into platform services to accommodate or augment that DR strategy. That leads well into another question I had, which are just, what are some of the bigger trends in Consumity and DR today? And how does the cloud come into play? 
I think that's a great question. And just speaking of relevance, of, of course, recent events, there are two that come to mind. As I had mentioned before, I think that the pandemic really caused a lot of organizations to open their eyes, not just within the technical, but also the non-technical aspects as well. And so using that workforce displacement example, in other words, if I have the ability to bolt on tools from a technical perspective, maybe that's Azure Virtual Desktop from the desktop experience to be able to help essentially augment or assist that. So certainly the events of the recent pandemic play a factor that is front and center. Another one of them happens to be when you start looking at the biggest trends, unfortunately, a lot of this is to your other question about when you start looking at it from a post-disaster. So think about in the southeast corner of the United States where hurricane season becomes a real risk. It's all too often that I engage with client organizations that had a quote-unquote strategy. However, both their primary and secondary data centers were within the same hurricane sphere, if you will. And so being able to get that out of the way, so in other words, the post-haste, if you will, tends to bring that front and center again from that risk posture perspective as well. And I think Courtney touched on this as well, and, and this is in regards to the trending from an application delivery perspective. It's not just DR that's maturing and evolving over time. The way that applications are consumed and actually delivered, if you start thinking about software as a service, for example, so the Salesforce of the world, a lot of times what that means from a delivery perspective is, is that the resiliency is built into the application. It could also be distributed. For example, if I am in the east part of the United States and I go to a particular SaaS platform, it may drop me off in the east coast region of, say, Azure. Or if I'm in the west coast, it may actually have that being distributed in the west coast as well. But the point being, the application becomes distributed. So it's that shift left or upstack philosophy where there's also that maturity happening or playing a factor as well. And just because of the sheer number of applications that are moving towards SaaS, I think that that would qualify as a relevant trend as well. Yeah, and I'd say the other trend we're seeing a lot out there, Steve, is really around the convergence of backups and DR as well, right? So a lot of the platforms are becoming more of IT resiliency platforms than just, say, a backup or a DR platform, really shooting towards continuous data protection and then being able to leverage additional feature sets out of that, uh, that DR scenario. So, for example, we have clients who take their DR sites and they spin them up in a test failover scenario and use that to test upgrades or use it to deploy new code and test and validation against it. And then once they're done, they just spin those DR environments back down. But that also offsets another cost center within their business of having a full development or testing environment where the DR environment in those areas can definitely be leveraged for those uh, as well. So a couple of different examples there. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. When you start looking at the tools, kind of said another way is that I would call them historic backup providers are shifting more towards the disaster recovery type of functionality. And the traditional disaster recovery tools and providers leaning more towards that backup or the traditional sense of backup, if you will, as well. And so there's quite a bit of dust in the air, I guess you could say, as far as that. And I think that for me, that confirms that, A, this is important that we're actually looking at something holistically whether or not that's the data estate exclusively, so think just data, or actually starting to get into that service capability as well, and also dependency. So think traditional workloads. So three-tier application, for example, where you have web servers, application servers, and underlining databases as well. Being able to treat those as logical groupings as opposed to an individual server or just backing up data into perpetuity, for example. I find that really interesting, the idea of the convergence of backup and DR into more of an, a resiliency approach. Could you guys kind of expand on that a bit as far as 
What would the historical division be between DR and backup? How would they have differed? And how are they being used in conjunction in a modern strategy? I think where we've seen them really be holistically separate over time is backups were intended to be that offsite, fail-safe copy. If you need it, you can go get it. It's kind of the insurance policy. You hope you never have to restore from it, but it's there and your data is sound and safe and, and secure. DR came in when we're really looking at high availability, you know, the restoring or the access of that data in a much smaller recovery time objective on that side. And so, you know, while you'll have a kind of a hot copy of that data, the DR would be accessible to fail over into to bring that recovery time down on that side. Where we see the resiliency coming together is, I think, the understanding that, hey, you know, if you've got multiple copies of your data, do you really need this offsite, out of mind, out of sight backup copy? Or do you just need three to four copies of it with some eventual consistency between them to protect from certain things like ransomware and things of that nature? So I think it's been an evolution of the market as well as the need from the businesses. What it took to buy a tape cartridge five years ago, you can buy a terabyte of online object storage for it. And so these platforms have really started to adapt and say, look, we're no longer going to take this stuff, put it on a tape and get it out into a vault. We're now going to offload to a lower cost center for object storage. And then you could have two to three to four copies of that as your fail-safe backup. But then you will also still have that same platform, single pane of glass, being able to almost instantaneously or near real time access that data in a DR perspective as well. And so it's, it's really fun to be able to watch these markets come together. Absolutely. And there's obviously a much larger concept when you start looking at information lifecycle management. In other words, if I'm treating just data as data. It's going to, of course, age over time, and there's pruning processes that come into factor. A great example of this is when you start looking at it from a disaster recovery perspective, is archival data relevant? And so being able to rationalize what should be kept and for how long, that certainly plays an important factor with this. And I think a lot of times when we start looking at definitions, we're really kind of talking about the recovery point objectives. In other words, when does data expire? And at what point is the unavailability of data or the loss of data, frankly, actually have a material impact on the business versus something when you start looking at it from operational continuity, that's around the service disruption. And so great example of this is if your organization is involved with e-commerce and so you have online transaction processing, so credit card payments, things at the transactional level that if that service were to be unavailable, such as the ability to process those transactions, then obviously that would have a material impact from just the ability to generate revenue. And so they thread into one another quite nicely, if you will, and how that relates specifically into which tools that kind of speaks to what that evolution is occurring right now in the market. And we're seeing this. And so I would agree with Courtney on this. Well, now you've brought up the impact to the business. And Courtney, while you do fill a technical role, you can also speak from the business perspective. What type of risks are actually posed with the threat of downtime? I mean, I think this is no longer just an IT conversation, right? It is really a business level consideration. I mean, just as recently as here in June, there was a large CDN network that had a 49-minute outage. That is going to have a year-long impact to their business. And so really understanding you know, what downtime means to the business, is it something that's an inconvenience? Hey, somebody couldn't get on and renew something, but they'll be back tomorrow. Or is this really true exposure up to including termination of services from customers on that side? I've seen that it usually leans towards the latter of that side, you know, with the ability to leverage multiple cloud vendors, 
we're now faced with the reality of if a customer fails over to another service, whether that, you know, that's a minute outage or an hour outage, there's a good chance they may not fail back. And, you know, this has a meaningful and could be up to a detrimental impact on businesses in that aspect. So this is something very serious at a business level. You also, a couple of minutes back, mentioned the big R word. Can you speak a bit about the ongoing threat of ransomware? It's been a persistent and growing attack method for really a decade now. Sometimes I think IT guys feel like this is just the one thing that won't go away, right? You know, this is the new attack vector and it, it hasn't slowed or stemmed. It's really kind of progressed or, or matured, right? And so we're now seeing ransomware as a service. You know, this is where basically anyone with the desire can get into a ransomware business and it's non-determinential, right? You know, it used to be they were going after large state actors. And, you know, while you see the pipelines and the things like that in the news, Really, there's no one that is immune to ransomware at this point because it is going to such an automated and orchestrated play there, and it's proliferated so much on that side. You now have the attention of insurances out there in in the business industry. You have the attention of large to small businesses on this front, and really, there is a need to focus this and take ransomware into your disaster recovery scenario, and what does it mean for you as a company? You know, are you going to be restoring from the backup, failing over to DR, or are you going to be faced with calling your insurance company and looking at other options? Stephen, you can speak a little bit more from the technical execution side, having worked with many clients over the years. What are some of the biggest challenges you have seen when implementing backup and DR plans? Are there any particular costs that can add up? Any difficulties in the recovery or restore process that are notable? You know, I think that some of the biggest challenges, specifically first and foremost, when you start looking at it from, <laughs> does the organization actually have a backup and, and DR strategy? Are they leveraging the tools? And one of the persistent symptoms that I see are organizations that have approached DR as kind of that check the box, if you will. So in other words, they've gone through, they've implemented the tools, however, they don't test the tools. So in other words, part of operationalizing is not just configuring it and walking away. It's very imperative for an organization to actually operationalize the testing, to build that into essentially their organization, whether or not that's part of runbook creation, to validate that things work. Great examples of this, uh, when you start looking at from a workload perspective, are there any hidden dependencies So in other words, to be able to bring up a a, a Microsoft SQL server and leveraging Active Directory, is there a domain controller in part of that DR strategy? Other things that when you start looking at it from specifically applications that may require manual massaging. So if you think about it from a database that hasn't been quiesced, are there any additional steps that the organization needs to take to make sure that the service is actually being restored? But the point being is, is that Just because you have a good plan doesn't mean that you can't afford to not test that plan and verify at the end of the day. One of the things that I look at specifically that can be a challenge, if you will, is when you start looking at costs. And a lot of times, depending on the tools that are being used and the level of complexity that comes into essentially being able to operationalize those tools, say, for example, the number of digital assets, so the number of virtual machines that are being essentially incorporated into a DR strategy, a lot of time that's one-to-one. We can typically forecast what those costs will be. However, there can be sometimes where there are hidden challenges as well, such as bandwidth requirements. If I'm doing real-time replication out of an on-premises data center and that replication has a very high change rate, that can material impact the amount of bandwidth that's available. And so that creates a hidden cost where, for example, we had to actually increase the amount of bandwidth on-premises to be able to support the replication activities 
in addition to the traditional usage of, say, the internet that the organization may be accustomed to. So it's not really as simple as grabbing a DR agent, slapping it on some servers. There's some real discovery that has to go in to avoid these pitfalls. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that's very important with that risk perspective as well is just implementing the tools and quote unquote trusting them. That opens up the door from a risk perspective because maybe there was, say, for example, an operating system update that made something not want to play nice with the orchestration that happens on the back end of some of these tools. And so, again, not only having the tools, but actually using them and testing them and retesting them over time is an imperative. And so I think that that's one of the core challenges that I've seen with organizations that approach this. It is something from a topical perspective. Yeah, they've got the tools in place, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's effective when it really counts. And so getting that predictability, being able to operationalize that clear through documentation and runbooks, that's a critical aspect of having a comprehensive strategy to DR as opposed to just applying tools and configuring those tools. Steve and I joke a lot of this disaster recovery goes beyond the line item of the tool, right? While you'll need these tools to facilitate it, you really have to make sure you understand it's a plan. And plans require testing, they require communication, and they require training, right? You know, you don't find the fire department only training for a fire when the whistle goes off and the, and the bells are happening and they need to dispatch. They're continually testing and training so they're ready for when that event actually happens. We really try to coach our clients in that same aspect of the tool and getting the information and availability and setup is the starting point but it should not be the end of the means there. We want to continue to communicate. You want to really roll this out, set the roles and responsibilities, talk to the key players, make sure that this stuff is documented and people know where it's at. And then you go through the tabletop exercises and you actually play out your scenarios. When you do that, you will find some of the holes of things that, you know, you have a large group of people, all those brains together still didn't think about one little contingency thing like, hey, if all the file servers are offline, how do we even go pull up the Word document that tells us how we enact this plan? <laughs> we may need a printed out version of this mm-hmm. to start the motions to get things back online. And so just an example of the little idiocracies that you have to go through in those table type exercises that really help make companies successful when the time comes. Yeah, Courtney, you said something that really resonated with me, and that is, is that when you start talking about various scenarios, and I think that that's unique to every single one of our customers, given that what constitutes a quote-unquote disaster? Does that mean that somebody can't print paychecks? Or does that mean that nobody's able to communicate, maybe through a voice over IP system? And really being able to differentiate between what various scenarios exist, is that smoke and rubble? Is that just a service unavailability? And then being able to curtail the organization's response around the scenario. One of the things that I always chuckle about is is that sometimes organizations approach this from kind of an all-or-nothing perspective, meaning that if I look at, disaster recovery. I want everything protected. Well, of course, everyone does. However, when you start to look at it from, say, an optimization perspective, and what I'm talking about that is, is that not all workloads would be considered mission critical. And so being able to differentiate that and actually thread through the strategic aspects of it as it applies to each scenario becomes very viable. And that's a critical aspect on the front end. DR means different things to different organizations. And being able to actually quantify that and codify it in a means that makes sense. And then, of course, when you operationalize it, there would be essentially a runbook that say, oh, my gosh, we had a smoke and rubble scenario. We've got a data center outage. We don't know what the ETA is for that to become back online. This is the plan of execution to be able to bring the organization up in a sister region, for example. And so being able to thread that through by scenario, I think, is critically important 
to any DR plan as well. That way, not every disaster is a smoke and rubble. Gosh, we got to pull the parachute and all the bells and whistles start running to use your fire alarm example. So looking at different organizations, having different priorities, obviously everyone has a different technology stack they're working with. And as you mentioned, Stephen, a different definition of what a disaster could even be. So if you're approaching me, I am client Joe, Joe Inc. I am looking to improve my continuity posture. What are some of the first questions that you would ask? How would you begin exploring that future plan? Great question. And so one of the things that I think is important is, is that there are obviously the technical aspects of this, just simply because that's the business that we're in. These are the tools that we're using. So basically what I'm saying is it's important to understand the client organization. That is every bit as much technical as it is non-technical. Great example. You know, what is it that they do? How does technology enable them to accomplish what they do? What risks are they susceptible to? Again, kind of feeding into that DR conversation. Other questions are a little bit more topical. For example, does the organization currently have a posture on DR? Have you implemented any tools as of yet? Where are you starting as this actually starts to evolve? Are you already mature and you've essentially got those planning and resources, you've operationalized it, or are you basically in your infancy? And then, of course, the last thing, and this kind of threads into not only just having a good plan, but testing it, that's always a great question, simply because a lot of organizations fall into that trap that I had mentioned, where they've checked the boxes, and sure enough, they haven't actually tested that, and so that is, a, is still a hidden risk in plain sight. And then, of course, one of those that I think is the most relevant to any business is, what is the cost of downtime to the organization? I have found that numerous responses kind of are wide-ranging as it, as it applies to that. Everything from, gosh, the number of, of help desk emails and phone calls that our tier one support get all the way down to dollars and cents, meaning that I've got, for example, say 400 people that are unable to do their job for four hours in one day. And before you know it, those numbers add up very, very quickly. And that typically builds the case for not only expanding the conversation on disaster recovery, but also plotting the path forward with that as well. How do we address that? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there on quite a few things, Steve. You know, when I'm looking at this a lot, it's it's risk and potential business impact, right? So what are those things out there? Your phone system being down or your call center not being able to help customers to camp print paychecks? You know, what, what is the actual impact of those type of events to the business? And then how do we correctly plan an effective response to those? With that, you've really got to roll out. What are we looking at from a roles responsibility perspective, making sure we have that pre-identified and that we've communicated those things to all of those stakeholders and business entities, contractors, for example, or, you know, to play a piece of this, where do you go spend that infrastructure up and, and having those agreements in place before you need them, right? And mm -hmm. then obviously back to testing and training, right? You've really got to make sure that you have this in the forefront of your mind. Everybody knows it's available, how you enact it, who are the players. And then you're training against that on a continual basis. Now, that's really a journey for a lot of customers, right? So again, I think we go back to starting with, hey, what's your current state? You know, what are you doing today? We want to obviously build on any investments you've made. And then what's your desired state? You know, hey, I can deal with not getting emails internally for a period of time. But if my website goes down and I can't do transactions, you know, we're dead in the water. And so really understanding those kind of impacts and how they look. And then what is the timeline for wanting to share that up, right? We all have constraints we work with out there, whether that's a business constraint of, of, of logistics or labor, or whether it's a budgeting constraint from a financial perspective. We really work with our clients to be hands-on and take that consultative approach of where are you going to get the most return on your investment day one, right? 
you may just need to get this stuff up and running so it's available. And then we talked about really rolling out the phases. You know, we'll bring the non-critical systems online in a phase two approach of this where you can expand later once you prove the value of having a DR platform up and running and that you can sustain and maintain your current production business. Then we talk about secondary services and things like that as you can expand the program. But really understanding, you know, we, sometimes we have to break the inertia or prove value back to the businesses to get continual motion in this area. That kind of brings up an interesting idea, which is you guys have touched on, I think, already. These types of engagements, they really are going far beyond the technology at hand. You know, you're speaking about roles, responsibilities, the business processes behind it. Are there any other vital components of resilience that you think might be overlooked when someone is initially approaching this type of thing? Well, I'm not sure about overlooking, but you know, like I mentioned, there's definitely constraints that we know we have to work within with our customers, right? And so we really try to bite off, you know, what they have an appetite for and give the biggest bang for their buck on that side. But as we've probably articulated here, you really have to leverage the power of the, is the human ingenuity as well as technology to have that well-rounded solution. And that's where bringing in a consulting firm like Lunavi can really help get you through and navigate those white waters on that side because there are bumps in the roads. There are things that we've experienced time and time in different disasters with customers and rolling out these plans and, and different business verticals on that side. And so each different type of business has its own flavor, has its own direction and its own priorities. And you know, we really just try to closely align with that from the business perspective to provide the most value. Steven, any parting thoughts on continuity? Absolutely. And I was just going to actually dovetail off of what Courtney just said, because I think that we have touched on a lot of the various aspects, but to kind of put it together, I think that workload rationalization, it's a critical component. In other words, are we taking the big bang approach and just covering everything, or are we being much more surgical about it and precise where we're getting into mission criticality, what applications are relevant? How do those applications align with the business? We also talked about, you know, what are the recovery time objectives specifically for those applications or workflows? Who are the stakeholders that are going to be involved? Who are the most impacted? Is this just customer back office staff or is this maybe Lunavi clients customers as well? And then it's also some of the non-technical aspects that we'd mentioned. So in other words, how does the ITDR plan integrate with the non-technical or the human aspects of the business as well? Getting into more of the process from a non-technical perspective. And then again, some of the scenarios, those are oftentimes very important from a components perspective. And then some of the regional aspects as well. Just being able to have two data centers on one campus, for example, it may protect against certain risks, but it may not isolate against some of the big ones or the more smoke and rubble type scenarios. And so when we start looking at it from a components, that's kind of how I would thread it all together, so to speak. Awesome. Well, that's all we have time for today, everybody. I would like to thank Courtney and Stephen for sharing their expertise with us. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure, Joe. I appreciate you taking the time with us here today and talking on the subject. Be sure to stay tuned for future Navigating What's Next episodes. Visit lunabi.com to view our full resource library of ebooks, infographics, videos, and more to continue your digital transformation journey.